0: Today, I interviewed Justice Daniel Kelly. Justice Daniel Kelly is a judicial constitutionalist who has dedicated a lifetime to the law. He served on the Wisconsin Supreme Court from 2016 to 2020, a tenure marked by his rigorous scholarship, judicial humility, and an unwavering commitment to the rule of law. The scores of opinions authored by Justice Kelly during his service on the Supreme Court stand as witnesses to his commitment to our Constitution and the rule of law. Justice Kelly is all for Defend Constitutional Rights. He's had a proven record of defending our constitutional rights and individual freedoms from government overreach. Uphold the rule of law. The idea that law should be applied as written without regard to the jurist's personal preferences lies at the foundation of civil society. It is this principle that gives us the chance to live together in safe communities where we can exercise our liberties and pursue futures of our own design. Prevent judicial activism. This is my favorite. Judicial activism occurs when a jurist allows his or her personal power. Politics to influence the resolution of a case. This is the antithesis of the rule of law. Justice Kelly's opponents publicly promote organizations that want to defund the police and let convicted felons out of prison. Electing Justice Kelly will prevent the reinvention of our Supreme Court as a haven for judicial activism where a political agenda can be imposed on our state. Those three bullet points stand out to me defend constitutional rights, uphold the rule of law, and prevent judicial activism. Obviously, prevent judicial activism sticks with me. Justice Kelly is not about that. And this was a wonderful interview. So I hope you sit back, listen and enjoy. What a personable man and what a great candidate for Wisconsin Supreme Court. So please join me in welcoming Justice Daniel Kelly. Welcome to the Cheryl and Shirley Show. And today it's just Cheryl, and I am so honored to have a guest today that I'm excited about talking to. And that is former Supreme Court Justice Daniel Kelly. And I'll call him Justice Kelly because it's just our, out of respect to him. And he's a great guy, and I look forward to just chatting with him. Welcome, so Justice Kelly. And why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure.
1: Cheryl, you're most kind uh, with that introduction. Thank you so much. It's great to be on your show. I've been looking forward to this. As you mentioned, I've been. on the Supreme Court, it was the greatest honor, really, of my career to serve the people of Wisconsin in that capacity. Just every moment of it was a joy. You know, interestingly, before I was appointed, uh, a few of my friends came to me and said, you know, are you sure you want to do this? Because you know, you're just gonna be in a room by yourself. You're just gonna read Mm -hmm. and write all day long. And my response was, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Well, that sounded like heaven to me uh, because I just loved that aspect, the academic side of it and having an opportunity to just thoroughly study the law and then to apply it to real-life situations, uh, to resolve disputes was just a joy. But that opportunity came after a, a long career of practicing law. I spent most of my career at one of the state's largest and most respected law firms. I was a partner in the litigation I spent my days doing litigation and that was just a pleasure. My uh, wife and I uh, raised our family here uh, in Wisconsin. We have five children. All but one of them are grown. Uh, still a surprise to me every time I think about it that our youngest is 16 and wow. the others are all grown up. They're adults and they're wonderful. They are the, the pride of our lives for both my wife and I. And they've just been a delight to us. Can I tell you a little story about how I came to Wisconsin? Absolutely. I was uh, born in Santa Barbara. Barbara, and my family moved to Colorado when I was young. But then I came out uh, to Wisconsin to study at uh, what was then Carroll College in Waukesha County. I had never been to Wisconsin before. I didn't know a soul here, but they'd put together a great financial aid package for me and I wouldn't have been able to afford to go to school otherwise. I came out, brash 18 year old, and uh, with all of my earthly possessions packed neatly into the trunk of my uh, 71 Chevy Chevelle, <laughs> And I was, I figured, you know, we'll be taking the world by storm. I come into Wisconsin, but the recruiter had told me there was really good fishing in Wisconsin. I love fishing. And so I came out a little bit early so I could uh, fish before classes got started. I ended up in a, uh, a campsite in uh, Waukesha County. It was a beautiful, beautiful weekend. You know, the rest of Wisconsin thought so too, because they were all there. I mean, it was packed. Through one thing and another, I uh, ended up sharing a campsite with a young family from Sheboygan Falls. They were the most delightful people you would ever hope to meet. I, I was just bowled over by them. They, they invited me to the campfire to share uh, dinner with them. They stayed up late into the night, uh, just talking about all the things you talk about when you first meet someone. It took me sailing the next day out on the lake, and they really just spent the whole weekend introducing me to what it means to be a Wisconsinite. I came away from that thinking I had just had the most marvelous stroke of luck because clearly I just met the most generous people in the state of Wisconsin. Well, this won't surprise you, Cheryl. You know, the the longer I was here, the more I discovered that although they were remarkable, they were not unique. I found people like that in school, at work, and in churches, and in other parks all over the state of Wisconsin, and I came to realize that this is uh, what typifies Wisconsinites. They are the people of the generous heart and open hands. I just fell in love with the people of Wisconsin that very first day when I was 18 years
0: old. That's uh, pretty cool. And I totally agree with you. I think Wisconsin is an awesome state and we have such a diverse state too. I mean, as far as like even land and weather, it's amazing. You know, I lived in Hayward, very cold area. And where I am now, I'm in central Wisconsin. We get the snow, we get the cold and you look at the temperatures. And sometimes I'll look at a temperature and my son lives in Sun Prairie, his, him and his wife can be 10 degrees warmer than we are. Really makes me mad. Yeah. now it
1: does. It does get above freezing in the summer in Hayward.
0: Right. Yes, it does, yeah, but only know, for yeah. the 4th of July weekend. That's what we <laughs> called our summer. It was yeah, yeah, 4th of July weekend. But if you liked fishing, you probably had been there. I mean, it's a great place I, to I fish. have.
1: I have uh, I've been privileged to fish many of the uh, the lakes in northern Wisconsin. And that, and that was, you know, I grew up fishing for trout. My father-in-law, so my wife is native to Milwaukee. My father-in-law was a Milwaukee policeman most of his life. He introduced me to uh, walleye and northern. And mm-hmm. boy, is that a ton of fun.
0: Northern. I can tell you a story my poor husband. The first time he caught a bunch of northern, he stuck his hand right in the gill, you know, because that's what you do, you know, yeah. to hold up his uh-huh. fish. He never did that again.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you Never did that. No. Yeah.
0: And so I wanted to say after your story, one thing. Seventy one Chevy Chevelle is cool, dude. <laughs> well, I
1: mean, they, I remember well,
0: those days. Okay, that was cool. I had a friend that had a Chevelle and it had a one of those little small steering wheels on it. It was so cool. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> so there's so in in addition, it was a convertible. Oh, and, uh, now now to balance the cool factor, this was a let's just call it a well used seventy one Chevelle. <laughs> by the time it got to my hands. <laughs>
0: I understand 100%. My first one was a 72. Well, actually, my very first car was a Ford Falcon, and I called it Sherman. It was Sherman the Tank. It was a 1963. I was so excited to have that car. It was gigantic. Huge yeah. steering wheel. Kind of reminds me of that old Barney Fife car that he bought that was a piece of you know what. So I understand.
1: Well, <laughs> you know, those Ford Falcons, those those have some value today. I've i always been a bit of a gearhead. You know, there are people that you know, look for cars of that era and the Ford Falcon's were one of them, loved uh, uh, loved uh to fix them up, hot rod them a little bit. Boy, they they are just outstanding looking cars when they're done with them.
0: Now, see, I wish I'd have known that back then. But, you know, yeah. being a woman, too, you know, it was like cars weren't my thing. When my dad came up with this green Ford Falcon and it was mine, it had bench seats. I could fit about 25 kids in it, though.
1: Yeah, right. There you go.
0: <laughs> that was pretty cool. And, yeah. you know, we had a lot of fun in it. And But that thing was just 1963. And I wasn't, I mean, I'm not that old, you know, so it was like not my favorite car. My next one was a 72 Chevy Nova, which was much cooler, like a Chevelle, you know.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the Novas, yeah, the Novas were great. There was um, a high school friend who had one of those. And there was a drag strip that uh, hosted uh, high school days. So they would, they would allow high school kids to come out and drag race. His dad, he had some resources. Mm-hmm. And so they fixed up that Nova to a fairly well. And they'd take it out and they'd race it. And every time he lost, he'd buy a new engine.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. That was the thing back then, though. We, you know, we yeah. cruised Main Street. It was a lot simpler for sure. Yeah. We didn't yeah. have social media and things like that, that now is, uh, I think, a decay. I mean, that's yeah. just my personal opinion. And sure. I see it doesn't get people out to do the fishing and the camping and the things that it really doesn't. teach you. It does teach you a lot being out in nature and really seeing sure what does. the state is. Yeah. We, my husband and I just came back from a little getaway and we rent a cabin off season always in Door County. and we Oh, go a couple. Nice. Yeah we go a couple times a year and it's kind of our downtime. I mean, okay. it's actually, we can't even get cell phone service. You have to put your hotspot and stuff on when, you know, if you want to make a call. <laughs> so it's kind of in the backwards, but I, I absolutely love that. And I think that's part of that Hayward thing, you know, cause we were kind of like yeah. that too up there, uh, almost like a different state, Justice Kelly. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it is. Well, and that, that's been, um, you know, life can be stressful. It can be full of stuff. I discovered a long time ago, if I get out uh, into the woods and in near a body of water, a River, lake, whatever it might be. I find it completely impossible to think about work or any of the other stressors of life. It is just such a, a peaceful retreat be out in the middle of nowhere and just soak that in. It is delightful.
0: I think everyone needs to do that once in a while, you yeah. know, like put your phones down, put your, get away from it all and truly get in touch with your mind. Remember the commercial, the, your mind is a terrible thing to waste. Right. True. Right. Yeah. And I do think people have lost the art of, reading and communicating just talking yeah. like we're talking right now yeah. i've just learned a whole lot about you from just that i had no idea that you really i didn't i didn't know you like you know that you were a gearhead and i didn't know you liked fishing and things like that so i think that's pretty interesting and i think people lose that nowadays people don't communicate so they don't get to know you as a person you know yeah. Yeah. they just know you as this right wing extremist i think is what it was and so um i want to ask you number 1 just maybe share with the people like why you're getting back into the race, why you're running and maybe talk about what the importance of the race is and where you stand on the law and the constitution.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for that opportunity. Yeah. The reason I'm running is because I think it is so incredibly important that the court fulfill the role that the constitution lays out for it. And that's a really, it's straightforward and a very most importantly, I think, humble role. So the court does not make law. It does not ignore law. It does not change law. It simply applies the law that already exists to resolve the cases that come before it. That's a truly humble role. You know, I mean, we don't look to uh, the courts to be innovative or original or creative or any of that. Uh, the people of Wisconsin have given them a pretty straightforward command. Take the law that we ask our legislators to pass and use that to resolve our cases. Don't second guess the wisdom of the law. Don't second guess whether it's effective or not people that that's something that belongs to the people of Wisconsin to decide a law in conjunction with their legislators, right? That's why we have a legislative branch. So my concern for the court is that they that stay in that role, but right now it's balanced really really closely 4 to 3 or so in favor of those who understand that they are charged is simply to apply the law as it exists. There are those who would uh, who would want the court to take a more active role in determining the policy for the state of Wisconsin. You know, and there's, there's a number of reasons they give for, uh, to justify this, whether it's because it's too hard to get the legislature to agree to the policies they want, or whether it takes too long to work through the legislature to get the policy they want. But the result is always the same. They're asking the court to step outside of its judicial role, steal the authority of the legislature, and impose upon the people of Wisconsin a public policy that they never never agreed to. So right now, like I said, we're about four to three in that regard. Justice Pat Rogensack retiring, and it's that seat that I'm running to fill. It's just a completely balanced court between those who want to apply the law and those who want to take an activist hand in making up the law as they go along. That's why I'm running, is to make sure that the, the court remains a court. Court. You know, you mentioned um, that I've been called a radical. There's, uh, you know, I kind of chuckled at it because, you know, one of the things they said is that I have a view of the law that is far outside the mainstream. And that truly does make me laugh because my view of the law is that the courts should follow it. And do all. Oh, that. Oh, simple, that. is it? Oh, is it that simple? Right, it is that simple. Now the job of it, you know, actually doing the work, that can get complicated because sometimes the is not clear. Sometimes there are, the um, legislation is written in a very particular way, and it's, uh, and it's, is not always the easiest thing to follow it through and figure out, Uh, what it actually means. And that's one of the reasons why we want people who have deep experience uh, in the law uh, so that we get those questions right. So, you know, the way that I've always approached it in the way that, that I've done it to keep politics outside the courtroom, you know, and there's many people who will say that they're, that they're, want to keep politics out of court. If you ask them how they plan to do that, they don't really have an answer. way to keep politics out of the court is to do the job like this. you, When you decide a case, you start with a law that's applicable uh, to that case, and you use rigorous logic to work from those premises, the law, down to the conclusion, how it applies in that case. And when you're done, you should be able to look back and see an unbroken chain of logic that links the law to the conclusion. And if you can do that, if you see no, break, no breaks in the logic, then you can be confident that the conclusion is what the law demands and not what the jurist particularly wants, right? So, and that's our objectives, to figure out what the law demands. But there's, you know, that's my way of viewing the law. There are those who take, like I said, that activist approach that they decide what they think the resolution ought to be, and then they kind of reverse engineer to figure out a way to shoehorn that into some semblance of what the law could say if you you know, close one eye and squint real hard with the other. And that's just not what we're supposed to be doing. So I love it when people tell me that I'm, you know, that I'm a radical and I have views of the law far outside the mainstream when all I'm doing is applying the law. And I think right. that tells on them more than it says anything. Well, and that's him.
0: one of my one of my questions, I think, is uh, when did all this start happening? I'm sure you witnessed that the change where I re- read a couple of things and it says, you know, conservative Daniel Kelly running for Supreme Court just liberal this. And why did that start in the Supreme Court or why did that start with even any court? I mean, anyway. yeah, yeah. and I don't understand when that all happened. It, it's one of those questions that I've always had, too, is, you know, when a sheriff, when somebody runs for sheriff and they have to declare whether they're Republican or Democrat, never understood that. Because a sheriff is a person who is taking care of everyone. It's the law. Yeah. yeah and exactly. so this bothers me a lot and it always has. And I just wondered, since you were. You know deeply involved in this and all. When did you see that really happening? I've been involved obviously in the political world for a long time too. I didn't see that back when I first got in. It was basically I was in the Navy, and when Ronald Reagan ran for president, I worked on his campaign, and that's what started it. Yeah. You know, but I didn't see that then. We had more decorum, we were civil, we could talk to yeah. each other. Yeah. And now it's become where you are now considered a right wing extremist, which blows my mind because <laughs> obviously they do not know you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When I talk yeah you, you are not a right-wing extremist. You are probably one of the most calm guys that knows the Constitution for the state of Wisconsin and wants to follow the law. Amazing. I, it, so, well,
1: and I, and I uh, surely appreciate that. Like I said, I just... Uh, I always kind of chuckle when I'm described as radical because I'm, I I don't know where they get that from. You know, and here's the thing, if if they don't like the conclusions I come to, they aren't the conclusions I come to are mandated by the law. Here's the beauty about the system, the law can be changed. You just can't do it through the courts. You've got to go to the legislature. And if you change the law, then I'll apply that law because the job of the court never changes. It's just to apply the law. So this idea of liberal and conservative, I mean, part of this, I think, is a little bit of a lack of imagination in, in those who develop the, the, the labels that get affixed to us on this. It's, it actually started in, um, you know, really in the 80s as an, in a very soft sort of way. There were, uh, there were people who were starting to look at the courts and the adventuresomeness with which they would use their power in creating laws rather than just applying them. They're like, wait a minute, is this right? Is this what courts are supposed to do? Are they supposed to be making stuff up that doesn't actually appear in the law? Are they supposed to be allowed to ignore the law that does exist just to get to a result that they personally like? What happened is they started studying the history of the courts and the constitutional structure, what that means for the nature and uh, function of the judicial system. They said, well, we need to conserve what the original public understanding of the courts was supposed to be that conserving impulse, I think that probably led to the label conservative. Unfortunate because you know there is a political connotation that goes along with that too, right? There's people yes. talk about being politically conservative or politically liberal. And I think there's been some just really unfortunate misunderstanding that when you refer to a judicial conservative, that what you're talking about is that the, the jurist's politics and it's not. It's referring to the jurist understanding of the nature and function of the courts, and conserving the original structure of our Constitution and what that demands the courts do. And- perhaps more importantly, what it not do. Mm. Uh, That became the way of distinguishing this revived understanding of the proper constitutional order as opposed to the activists who were uh, were using the legislative power in the work they were doing on the court. And so, you know, it'd be great if someone came up with a new label uh, (laughs) that would get us away (laughs) from talking about judicial conservatism. I mean, we've, you know, we sometimes talk about uh, being a constitutionalist. Or a textualist, mm-hmm. and um, and the idea is there to try to move beyond that term that has that unfortunate political connection. Because what we're doing in the the way the jurisprudence, the way that we look at the function of the court, it just has nothing to do with politics. I mean, if there's if there's a liberal law on the books, you know, if it was adopted by a, a liberal legislature that wanted to achieve liberal ends, a judicial conservative, a constitutionalist will apply that law and will Correct. apply it honestly and thoroughly to the extent that people look at the, the conclusions that a court comes to. If that court has done its job and it simply followed the law, the result is something that people don't like politically, the fix for that is not to tell the justices to steal the legislators' power. It's to go back to the legislators and say, hey, so apparently this is how this law works out in real life. And we don't like it. We need to change
0: that. Do you remember having the when we were younger? Fool Rock, I think it was. Yes. <laughs> Here's a bill. I'm on Capitol Hill. Remember that?
1: And I to go do. Back I to love that, that. And
0: to go back, honestly, to go back to that basic to where people understand how a bill goes through and how it's supposed to work, but Congress hasn't worked and in assembly. And then you've got, you know, this. I mean, sometimes, honestly, what we have right now in the state of Wisconsin, balanced basically because we have a Democrat governor, but we have Republican legislation so they have to learn to work together to some degree and when they come up with a law that's signed by the governor then the court follows the law and that's part i think people have lost that it's like do we educate our kids in that any longer i'm not sure but i still remember that every once in a while when i talk to my son i'll start singing that because it's like i'm a bill on capitol hill you know if you want to make change that's how you gotta do it i love
1: that so you might you might uh you might enjoy this so one of the one of the opinions i wrote it was a about the, uh, the partial veto power. So the opinion I wrote for in that case, there was a section of it that I captioned Schoolhouse Rock. <laughs> uh, I'm like, this is, look, we got to look back and understand how uh, how a bill becomes a law, because the uh, the court's uh, jurisprudence had had misunderstood that for a very long time. We had to get it back on the straight and narrow about what the nature of a bill is and how it becomes law, therefore, what can be effectively vetoed in part. I actually had some fun with that in captioning that uh, one section of it, of the opinion, Schoolhouse Rock.
0: I love that. I mean, I do, because honestly, I think we need to get back to some of those basics where people really do understand. I think it's we've become so divided with with social media, as I've said. I mean, all these influencers out there and they can put something on Twitter and they think that they're hitting all these people, which they probably are, doesn't mean that they understand what the law is and how a law is made. If you really want to make change, you get hold of your legislators and you let them know and you talk to them and you work that way. And then it goes up. And once it's passed, it becomes a law in that state. And then the Supreme Court, if you want to challenge that, law, you can go through the Supreme Court. So I guess now I can say this officially. So you're not a conservative activist?
1: I'm not a conservative <laughs> activist. I, mean, I just want to make
0: that clear. Yeah.
1: So I'm nowhere near clever enough for that. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, this is, I take, a, a, I tell a little story when I was in practice, I was uh, walking down the hall, I was going to meet one of the uh, one of my partners to talk about a case, and I had one of the volumes of the statutes in my arms walking down the hall in one of our paralegals comes out of her office. She looks at me and she says, what do you have there? And I said, it's my muse. She started laughing and and then I started to chuckle. But it's really true. My inspiration uh, in the work that I do comes from the law. It's not my idea of what the law ought to be. It is what the people have already decided their law is. I'm not wise enough or insightful enough to come up with what the law should be for the people of Wisconsin. The framers of our Constitution were smart enough to know that the best way of arriving at a wise law is to get people from all over the state, from various backgrounds, Backgrounds and experiences, get them together and have them hash it out. And their and their idea was there is wisdom in many counselors. If you get all these people from all these different backgrounds, you'll be much more likely to come up with a law that serves the entire state rather than the interests of just a few. When I was on the court, I was one of seven people on the court. Even if I were inclined to try to go outside the role of the court, we just did not have the resources, we're not set up to be able to figure out what a good and effective law is going to be. Before I came to the court, I was absolutely convinced and committed to not trying to take the legislator's power to simply use the law as my muse, to have that inspire me as I write the opinions and to follow that muse faithfully. So that's uh, so that's what I did. So every opinion that I wrote, you can go back and you can see, wrote them away so you don't have to be a lawyer to honest to goodness lawyers are probably not the best writers in the world and so i wanted to make sure that that what i wrote was available to all of my bosses all the people of wisconsin they can see what i was doing with the authority that they loaned to me i wrote in a very straightforward way Here's the law, and then here's how it applies to this case. And I use that rigorous logic to reach those conclusions so that my bosses, all the folks in Wisconsin, would be able to go back and check my work and say, yeah, okay, I see what you did there. Kelly followed the law. Uh, the greatest compliments I've ever got were from non-lawyers who've looked at my opinions and said, I saw what you did there, and I could follow it, I could understand it, and I got to the end of it, and I can see how your conclusion was commanded by the law.
0: Yeah, which I totally appreciate, very much so about you. So tell me, running as a candidate nowadays, I mean, how is that
1: (laughs) for you? Well, um, it's interesting. We live in an age in in which everyone seems to have a lot of preconceived notions about others. The press release that you mentioned, coming out and saying, "Well, you're this," yeah. There's a there's a quick label they can slap on me, even though they've not made any effort to figure out whether that's actually true or not. And then you and they probably
0: not to interrupt you, but they probably didn't call you for a comment. Oh
1: no, they they did not. (laughs) And we do kind of live in a Twitter age where, you know, people kind of expect uh, that thoughts will be conveyed in 200 characters or less. And that makes it kind of difficult in running for the court because, you know, the role of the court, it's not easy to... Convey that in 200 characters or less, and so when somebody uh, just takes a an outrageous label, slaps it on you, well then that makes my job a little harder. I've got to go around and say, look, here's why that's just not true. Whenever I have an opportunity to do that, the conclusion that I'm like, oh, okay, well then I, you know, I see that that's not true. Well, unfortunately, i uh, you know, this it, this takes on more of a a political cast than it should. What I would love to do is have a a straight up conversation about the nature and function of the courts, what the job of a jurist is, where they get their authority from, what the limits on it are, and how you use that to decide cases. Because that's really, I think, what people want to know uh, when they are selecting their justice. These quick uh, baseless labels uh, just aren't really that helpful. To them, you know, the uh, the political environment is testy, shall we say? <laughs> you know, and that. Uh, that's unfortunate. I mean, this is, uh, let me just take a step back. I I fell in love with the people of Wisconsin back when I was 18 years old, and that's never changed. Uh, over the last few years, I had an opportunity to see that it's just never changed. When you get people away from politics, they're still the same people of the open hand and generous heart that they were when I met them 40 years ago. Small example of that. I, I was speaking, at an event last uh, last winter it got late and it was snowy it was in the middle of winter and i go i go out there's a ton of snow in the car didn't have a scraper i'm brushing the snow off with my hand you know and so i get done and i flip my hand to get the water off it and my wedding ring goes flying oh, no. it goes into a bank of snow and i'm like oh my goodness so i'm there on my hands and knees for over half an hour trying to find the ring and I cannot find it. Uh, so I go back in to the event where I was speaking. And I said, look, if by any chance at all, you guys come across a rig in the parking lot, could you let me know? I figured, you know, I'll go rent a metal detector or something. And I'll come back and I'll look for it the next day. So I did. I went down there and uh, I-, I rented the metal detector drove back down there only to find out that there was an entire party of people out there who had shoveled the parking lot down my ring i was just bowled over this is not something i asked them to do they just they were just wonderful kind wisconsinites they're like we gotta find this guy's wedding ring
0: yeah no (laughs) kidding i mean that's gotta be a i can only imagine what that must have felt like holy cow
1: yeah and then driving home from that, my daughter calls. She's living in uh, in Madison, and she'd been at our home, she was driving back to Madison, and it was a you know, still really snowy and she slid off the road uh. in Dane County. Unfortunately, you know, it was into a farmer's field. So she called she was calling me, you know, we're figuring out how we're going to take care of this. So I'm of course very worried. She's You know, she's a young girl and out in the middle of nowhere, and as we're talking, every once in a while, she would say, hang on a second, Daddy. And then I'd hear her say, no, no, I'm good, thank you. (laughs) Uh, And in the short time that we're on the phone, she did this like three times. It was just random people in danger. County seeing someone in need and stopping to make sure they're okay.
0: Neighbors being neighbors. Yes, which is what we used to have. I. Yes, you know, and, and still so, to, to this day we do. But, we do. You know, we do. Yes, we really. And, and
1: do. that's the and that's the key. You know, we you know we we get into uh, talking about politics and then the walls go up and the divisions go up
0: mm-hmm. and
1: the rhetoric gets harsh. But if we uh, if you take away that as the way in which we meet each other, Wisconsinites are still just incredibly generous and open and loving and caring. And I just, and I love that. I love that.
0: I always say, you know, when I go into a store or something and if, you know, somebody's right there walking in with me or something, I stop and I let them go through the door first. I don't say, hey, how do you vote? Right. It's like, if if somebody needs help grabbing a can up on the top shelf, I can help them, you know, an older woman or an older gentleman, and I will help them and it's it's one of those things where you know you just do it. It's not, I'm not asking you, how did you vote? It doesn't matter. Yeah. We have just become so divisive with each other. And we can't, like you said, just have a com- conversation until it's things like that where we don't ask. And when you bring yeah. politics into it, I don't care who you vote for. You're still my neighbor. Right. <laughs> so exactly. we just need to get back to that at some point. You're right. I had, I did witness it. I remember now that you say that, because I do remember Clarence Thomas, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. And that was a long time ago. So we've witnessed a lot of things. Over the years, I wish we could get back to it. I hope we can. I've tried to reach out to even VAR um, assembly people and just say, you know, please work on something that we can get passed together. So yeah. we look like yeah, we're yeah. doing something for our people in our state instead of us arguing now, you know, that we can't do anything for four years because he'll veto it. That It's just not the way we're supposed to work. That's right. And That's let's right. try to learn to work together. But I think what you're in right now, you know, as well as I do, that the money's going to pour in. It is so frustrating to fight against that and to really be who you are and stay, I, and I know you're not going to change. I know that because yeah, I know yeah. who you are. Problem is that people out there don't know. If you want to maybe, uh, I know you're very busy, so we'll tie it up, but I wanted you to say, where can people reach information about you? That would be helpful. If there are links or something, I'll try to attach information. So maybe contact you or something, someplace where people can go to that finds out more information about you That's share that.
1: great. Thank you. Thank you. Indeed, we will. And probably the best place to start is uh, justice.danielkelly.com. That's our website, and then we are on we are on Twitter. It's and that's Justice Dan Kelly. Apparently, there's not enough room to use my whole name, so Justice Dan Kelly. And then we're on uh, Facebook as well, and I think that's Justice Daniel Kelly. That will have uh, a fair amount of information about me. And then, if people are really interested in figuring out who I am as a jurist, they can look up any of the opinions that I wrote while I was on the Supreme Court. Those are the things that really tell you about me and the uh in the nature and function of the court because having actually done the job of justice and having loved it you know i um, i poured myself into those opinions to make sure that they were faithful Expositions of the law without political interference, without political aspect at all. So that, and and just a final word. I mean, that is just politics is just poison to Mm -hmm. the work of a court because it just it robs people of the confidence that the court system is going to look at them uh, without bias and without fear or favor for any party or position. And so that. Um, that was my watchword the entire time I was on the court, was being careful to do just the law and giving people the confidence to know that any case they brought to us, I would decide entirely on the law.
0: Well, I think you just picked a nice little title for yours, Politics is Poison to the Court. Yeah. I think that's a great title for this a- episode. I so appreciate your time and I appreciate just being able to chat with you and get to know you a little bit better, get this out to the audience so they can get to know you a little bit better. and some. Even on a personal level, I kind of like, like I said, the 71 Chevelle soldier, dude. (laughs) I'm all
1: over it. Love (laughs) it.
0: I still remember that. So yes, I I thank you so much for your time. And I hope you'll come on again and we can keep up with what's going on. And if you um, want to, people, please out there share his information. We'll share this um, episode as soon as I'm finished editing it and we'll get it out to everyone we possibly can so people can get to know Justice Daniel Kelly again and realize that he is for the law in the state of Wisconsin, not the law in California, not the law in New York, not the law in Alabama, the state of Wisconsin. Thank you so much, Justice Kelly. And if you want to say any final words, please do. And I appreciate Uh, you coming on for sure.
1: Oh, I sure do. Cheryl, thank you so much for having me on. You are most kind and generous in having me here. Uh, What a delightful conversation with you. And I will definitely look forward to coming back.
0: Good. That sounds fantastic. And I look forward to seeing you sometime soon.
1: All right. Take care, Cheryl.
0: Take care. Thank you so much. Have a good day.
1: You too. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye.